Now, if we go to the Word of God, the Word of God would concede this point as well. Some things are better than others. It doesn't mean that the one thing is necessarily bad. But some things are better than other things. For instance, 2 Peter in chapter 1 tells us that the written Word of God that you hold in your hands today is greater than the audible voice of God. Wrap your mind around that one. But the Word of God tells us that. The Word of God, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. Peter is recounting how he was one of three men in the history of the world who was on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus Christ somehow peeled back his humanity for just a second so that Peter, James, and John could get a glimpse of his glory and his deity. One of three men. And when that happened, God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The audible voice of God spoke, and Peter, James, and John heard it. And this is what Peter has to say about that when it happened. Second Peter 1 and verse 19. He says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the script Sure, written word of God, scripture, is of any private interpretation. The reason why the written word of God is greater than the audible voice of God is because it is up to no private interpretation. It is written. And if you tell me the word of God says one thing and I see that it doesn't, you're wrong. But you can tell me if if the word of God was still audible today which it's not because we have the completed canon of Scripture, the completed revelation of God. If it was still audible, it would be up for interpretation. Well, God told me this. Well, I'm sorry he didn't because his word says this. See, the audible voice of God is not wrong. It's not bad. But the written word of God is better according to the word of God. In the context of the book of 1 Corinthians, in which we have been studying for the last year or so, we have seen that the context of the entire book is that we is greater than me. And what that means is that the corporate body of Christ is greater than the individual Christian for many reasons of which we don't have time to cover and to recount. But we have seen through this study of 1 Corinthians, we're almost done, we're in chapter 14 today, that we, the body of Christ, is greater than me, the individual. And keeping that in perspective will not only help your ministry, but it will strengthen the body of Christ, and its effectiveness in the ministry. Some things are greater than others. And we're coming to the last couple chapters in our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. Like I said, last week we finished chapter 13, which is a chapter completely devoted to the superiority of charity. Because while some things are better or greater than others, charity is greater than all, (laughs) is what we saw last week. But before chapter 13 defined and demonstrated for us true biblical charity, true biblical love, chapter 12 preceded it with the introduction of this theme of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are the overarching theme of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. And in chapter 13, Paul clears off some space to talk about why charity is superior. So, here's your rundown. The theme of each chapter there, the, the overarching theme is spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 was the purpose and really the listing of spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 was why charity is better or greater than spiritual gifts. And today, starting chapter 14, chapter 14 is all about why prophecy is better than tongues under the umbrella of spiritual gifts. 
Okay, so chapter 14 that we're going to start today is entirely about prophecy and tongues. Hopefully you're not uncomfortable. We'll get there. I bring up the preceding two chapters, chapter 12 and 13, because you need to understand as we dive into chapter 14 that the context of this chapter is crucial in understanding what God is teaching about tongues. The context of any scripture is crucial all the time if you want to know what God is truly saying. Anyone can cherry pick any one verse and say this is what God is saying. But if you read it in the context of the chapter that it is in, within the book that it is in, within the testament that it is in, within the entire Bible, the specific context will define what God is actually teaching because the scripture is of no private interpretation. And this context of chapter 12, 13, and 14 about charity and spiritual gifts is crucial in understanding what God is going to teach us about tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. So let me give you some context that we need to put in our back pockets and not forget as we're studying this chapter, okay? The theme of the entire book of 1 Corinthians, as we said, is that we is greater than me. The community of the body of Christ is greater than the individual. Corinth, historically, you need to remember, Corinth, the church that Paul is writing to through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, was a carnal church, a selfish, self-serving church. Most of this book, in fact, is written in rebuke of their carnal behavior or incorrect exercises of doctrine. Hopefully you've been with us through most of this study and you would agree, yes, of course, he's been rebuking them since chapter 1. Second Corinthians is when he tells them, hey, good job. You followed the rebuking and you got right with the Lord. They, they, they were exercising doctrine incorrectly. Think uh, communion in chapter 11, holiness in, in chapter 3, uh, church discipline in chapter 5. He, he addresses several church doctrines that they were doing incorrectly. Historically, Corinth was a first century church existing during a time when tongues existed and were practiced right after the book of Acts. Right, right within the end of the book of Acts even. Paul's writing to this first century church at Corinth about the exercising of these tongues that did exist at that time. Also, you need to know, remember, we said this already, but the theme of chapters 12 through 14 is spiritual gifts. And chapter 13 told us that charity is superior to spiritual gifts. And that spiritual gifts done without charity, well, they're worthless. They're, they're as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. They serve no purpose. That's what the first couple of verses of 1 Corinthians 13 tell us, is that he follows up spiritual gifts and all these great things and says, covet earnestly the best gifts, but I show you a more excellent way. Spiritual gifts are good, but charity is greater because some things are greater than others. So as we transition from the superiority of charity back to spiritual gifts in this chapter, we have to keep things, these things in mind because this chapter of Scripture 1 Corinthians 14, is the proof text, along with maybe Acts chapter 2, for those who believe that the spiritual gift of tongues is still available for today. So we have to understand the context as we study this chapter. A proper understanding of this chapter in Scripture, within the context of the entire book of 1 Corinthians and the New Testament and within the entire Bible, will leave you with only one conclusion. Tongues are not for today, and those claiming that they can speak in tongues are not even doing so biblically as would have happened in the first uh, century. And we'll see that today. Now before we get into that, I just want to give a quick disclaimer. Because we here at this church are seeking to rightly divide the scriptures, not arrogantly divide friendships. 
So, as we study the scriptures, understand that we are trying to rightly divide the word of God and understand what he is teaching us. We're not seeking to go beat people up over the head with this. But, if you're listening to this today, and you would be someone who believes in modern day tongues, may I just ask you to please hear this, men- th- this message with the sincere intentions that it was prepared with. Please just hear it in all sincerity. I, I'm not ignorant that doctrines can offend people, but listen, we are all called to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to do that. So we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to God to rightly divide and to seek out and to not bring our bias and our preconceived notions to this chapter. Let's let the word of God speak for itself, amen? As Paul begins the topic of spiritual gifts all the way back in chapter 12, he begins with this sentiment in verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, that's his segue into this topic. I would not have you ignorant. I would not have you ignorant. We mustn't be, spirit, or we mustn't be ignorant of spiritual gifts. We, we can't be. Paul warns us not to be ignorant of them. Because ignorance of the subject of spiritual gifts can land you on one of two sides of the seesaw. Either wandering in a land of barren unfruitfulness and ineffective in, ineffectiveness in ministry because you don't even know what God has supernaturally enabled you to do, or wandering on this side in a land of false doctrine, pride, and incorrect focus on what the church ought to be doing today. You can't be ignorant of spiritual gifts because you will land on either a side of ineffectiveness or a side of actually hindering ministry. One side is hindered in ministry because of a lack of effectiveness. The other hinders ministry by a lack of understanding. We must not be on either side. We must not be ignorant of spiritual gifts. We must understand them. We need to understand which are for today, figure out which that we have, and utilize them for the glory of God. But whatever you do, don't be ignorant of the subject of spiritual gifts. That is why Paul warns of that as he's writing to the church at Corinth. And that's why we must study 1 Corinthians 14 and and chapter 13 and chapter 12 and so on and so forth. So let's go ahead and read the first five verses of chapter 14, which is all we're going to study today. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1 starts with, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, and to exhortation, and to comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. Before we dive into this, let's pray and ask God to open our understanding so that we can know what he's teaching us. Father, I come to you this morning and I thank you for your word. I thank you that you gave us an objective source of what your word says. There is no private, it's not up for private interpretation, it's up for your interpretation. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit that dwells within us is what will reveal and manifest it to us. So Lord, I just pray that as you speak your word this morning, that the Holy Spirit inside of us would open up our understanding so that we can understand what your word has to say about spiritual gifts so that we cannot be ignorant, about prophecy, about tongues, and everything that we're going to see this morning. Lord, teach us. Let us not be easily offended, but let us be Quick to hear, slow to speak. 
and quick to understand your word. We love you. We pray that you would grow us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. The theme of the entire book of 1 Corinthians, as we said, is we is greater than me. And what that means is the body of Christ is a community. And when you focus on yourself instead of the body as a whole, you do damage to the body and to yourself. So we is greater than me because when me is focused on we, we can get a lot, mu- a lot more done. Amen? I mean, it's, it's very obvious. It's very rational. When I'm focused on the body instead of myself and not desiring the body to focus on me, we can get a lot more done because 1 Corinthians 12 tells us we each are an important member of the body. And we need each of us, we need all of us to come together to get the work done that God has left for us to do. The body functions as it was designed when we all have the perspective that we is greater than me. So naturally, some things are more superior than others. Some things are greater than others. We is greater than me does not mean that me doesn't matter. It just means that the body is superior to the individual. And what we're going to see this morning in these first five verses of chapter 14, which is simply just an introduction to the entire chapter, are several things that are greater than other things. It's why your study sheet looks like an algebra equation. If you didn't know that little... That little symbol right there is a greater than symbol, and so I just decided that we would run that throughout the entire thing. So this little guy just means greater than, okay? You can write that above if you've forgotten. But our first thing that we're going to see here is that it doesn't mean that the other thing is wrong. It just means that it's inferior compared to the other thing. We'll see that as we go. And as Paul segues from charity in in chapter 13, back to spiritual gifts, the first point is obvious. We've already briefly mentioned it. Charity is greater than spiritual gifts. And if you've been here with us through chapter 12 and 13, you already understand that. We know it's at some level because at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 31, he says, covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. More excellent. Not that spiritual gifts aren't excellent, but charity is greater, and it's required for spiritual gifts to work correctly. And then he segues into that into 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, spiritual gift, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, spiritual gift, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, word of knowledge, spiritual gift, it shall vanisheth away. Verse 13, the end of the chapter. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Some things are greater than others. Charity is greater than spiritual gifts. It doesn't mean that spiritual gifts are bad. It means that charity is greater. Charity is the apex we, Jeff spent three weeks going through 1 Corinthians 13, so we don't need to list all the things that charity is and is not, but it is the bond of perfectness, the Bible tells us. It is completeness. Charity covers the multitude of sins. Charity is the seventh level of seven levels of spiritual maturation given to us in 2 Peter chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 8 tells us that charity in and of itself edifies While knowledge by itself, although good, knowledge by itself puffs up self. We know that charity is greater because we spent a month looking at that. But how do we know that from 1 Corinthians 14.1? Well, I want to do a word study with you because that's exactly how we study the Bible. We look at the words of God. 1 Corinthians 14.1 again says, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. 
So ignore the last part for a second. We'll get to prophecy in a minute. For now, just notice, follow after charity, desire spiritual gifts. If you do a word study on the word follow and desire throughout the scripture, what you're going to find is that following is greater than desiring, just as charity is greater than spiritual gifts. Now, don't, under mis- don't misunderstand me. They're both good. Desire is good. Following is good. But following is better. So let's just do this briefly. Letter A, follow. Follow defined just means to pursue or to walk after in the same direction. The first mention of the word follow is in Genesis 24, where Rebecca, a picture of the church, is following after Abraham's servant, a picture of the Holy Spirit, to go to Isaac, a picture of Jesus Christ. The first mention of follow is the church following after the Holy Spirit, pursuing Jesus Christ. We are to follow Christ, the Gospels tell us. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us we're to follow him as he follows Christ. Romans 14 tells us that we should follow things which make for peace. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us that we should follow that which is good. Hebrews 12 says we should follow holiness. Hebrews 13 says we should follow the faith of those who rule over us. And then, of course, 2 Timothy 2.22 says that we should follow righteousness, faith, charity, and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Following is an action. It is pursuing or walking after in the same direction. It's the, it's, it's the pursuit of the right things. That's what follow means. Now letter B, desire, means to wish to obtain or, or to wish to have the possession or enjoyment of. The first mention of desire is actually found in Genesis 3 and verse 6, which is where sin enters the scripture. Interesting. Genesis 3 and verse 6, when Eve saw that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she disobeyed God and sinned. Now that's interesting. I'm not saying that desire is always bad, but the first mention of follow is following the Holy Spirit. The first mention of desire is man desiring that which God does not desire for him. And that sets up a pattern through the scripture. You just have to understand that. Following is mentioned in a positive light, desiring in the negative. Actually, of the 200 plus times that the word desire in some form is used in the scripture, it's mostly referring to desiring something negative. That's interesting. Now, of course, we are to desire good things. The scripture mentions those. I've given you a few on the screen. You can just notice them. David, in the Psalms, he desired to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. That's a good thing. We should desire that. Proverbs 3 says we should desire wisdom. Acts 13 says we should desire to hear the word of God. We should desire that the lost would be saved, as Paul does in Romans 10. We should desire to be with Christ like Paul in Philippians 1. We should desire fruit that abounds, Philippians 4. Desiring the office of a bishop is a good thing, 1 Timothy 3.1. And 1 Peter 2.2 says that we should desire the sincere milk of the word, and hopefully that's why you're here today. But listen, desiring is a far cry from following. Following is an action. Desiring is only the thought that precedes it. So what do you think is superior? Pursuing or wishing, right? Following or desiring. Following begins with desire. To desire the office of a bishop is a good thing, but if you don't pursue it, if you don't follow after it, you'll never get it. See that? Desire is good, but following is better. 
following is greater than desiring. That's why God chose the words that he did. If you look back at verse 1, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. If you do the word study, we already know that charity is greater than spiritual gifts, but he makes it even more clear with the superlatives that he uses to say that we should follow charity and desire spiritual gifts. Because without charity, spiritual gifts are worthless, right? We learned that in the last chapter. Now, we have to get to the the more meaty and maybe more interesting part of this passage. We have to get to the tongues, right? So number two, known tongues are greater than unknown tongues. And you might not know exactly what that means. That's okay. That's the entire point of what we're looking at today is to define what this means. Known tongues are greater than unknown tongues. Look at verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 14 again. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. This phrase, unknown tongues, is only found six times in Scripture, and it's all here in 1 Corinthians 14. That's interesting. We will be spending the next several weeks as we're going through the book of First Corinthians, or the chapter of uh, 14, looking and understanding unknown tongues. But this morning, we need to define it. What are unknown tongues? We need to define what that is. Well, those who would believe that the spiritual gift of tongues is available today would think that unknown tongues is some sort of uh, incoherent babbling. And, and I don't mean that in a rude way. I don't say that to get a laugh, I promise you. I just don't know any other way to describe it. It would be some sort of nonsensical gibberish. They don't know what they're saying. You don't know what they're saying. That is how it is demonstrated today in 2019. It's how it's typically found. They might even reference the tongues of angels that Paul mentions in chapter 13 and verse 1, which we've already seen is not something that Paul claimed he could actually do, nor did he define what that is. Okay? The word unknown with tongues is only found six times in that chapter. So we can't cross-reference that phrase to biblically understand what it means. But what we can do is break it down into its two components. You have unknown and you have tongues. The word unknown should be fairly basic to understand. It means not known, right? Unknown is fairly easy. It, it means that I don't know. I'll give you a, a biblical example, though. Paul in Acts 17 and verse 23 is talking to some pagans and he says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. See, unknown is coupled with ignorance. They were ignorantly worshiping the unknown God. They were unknowingly worshiping a God that they didn't know of. See? So, so unknown has to do with ignorance. Ignorance is not, well, I know that colloquially today we would say, you're ignorant, and mean it in like a, a put-down way, but just semantically, what the word means when you define it is you don't know. That's all it means. So to be ignorant of a subject means you just don't know about it. And so that means unknown, to not know something. But what about the word tongues? Tongue or tongues, the, the plural or the singular, is found 166 times throughout the scripture. We'll set aside these six unknown tongues that we find in this chapter for now. But that leaves us with 160 times that the word tongue or tongues is found. And you can divide those into three categories of how it's being used. Okay, uh, The first one, in the majority of the time that the word tongue or tongues is used, it's referring to the member that's in your mouth. 
the tongue that's in your mouth, just quite literally, or using that to metaphorically refer to speaking. Uh, that's used about 70% of the time. That's the most used uh, usage. Proverbs 18.21 is a good example. It says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. It's referring to the physical member in your mouth, but metaphorically it's talking about speaking. What you say has death and life in it. Jeremiah 23, 31, the prophet says, Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, he saith. Referring to the physical member, also referring to speaking. Okay, does that make sense? That's the majority of the time that it's used. The second way that it's used is referring to the spiritual gift. It's only found in the New Testament a handful of times, less than 10% of the time. And we've seen this, that spiritual gift listed back in Romans chapter 12. It's, that's the second reference. And the third is referring to a language. That's the key that you need to understand this morning. When you search tongue or tongues throughout the scripture, one of three ways that is used is referring to a language about 20% of the time. Deuteronomy 28 verse 49 is a clear example. It says, the Lord shall bring a nation against thee, Israel, for context, from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. It's referring to the language that they speak. You won't understand. There'll be a foreign nation who speaks a different language. They're of a different tongue. And that's the three ways that that word is used in the scripture. I looked at all of them. You can trust me. But you can go home and look them all up yourself too. That's the great thing about God's word, amen? Go home and see if I'm lying. Those are the three ways the word tongue is used. Now, we take that understanding in one hand, and we pair that with the understanding that you can only find the spiritual gift of tongues being used three times in Scripture. Now, the spiritual gift of tongues is referenced a few more than that, but you can only find them being exercised three times in Scripture, and they're all in the book of Acts. Yes, if you were here a couple quarters ago, we did a, a 9 a.m. class on the book of Acts, and, and we saw this. It's in Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19, during a transitional time of the church, okay? And the most referenced one, is especially when talking about 1 Corinthians 14, uh, is Acts 2. That's the one that's mentioned the most. And if you're unaware, Acts 2 is when the Holy Spirit came to the earth at Pentecost, the first and only time that it happened, fulfilling the prophecies of Jesus Christ, who himself said that the Holy Spirit couldn't come until he left. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. So if you'll go there with me for a moment, because this is important, Acts 2 couples with 1 Corinthians 14 when you wrongly divide it. So we have to look at Acts 2. And we're going to start in verse 4. So in verses 1 through 3, the Holy Spirit comes. And then in verse 4, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. You have to understand that's a big deal. The Holy Ghost didn't just inhabit every person who believed on Christ until this point. Before, the Holy Spirit could go and come as he pleased. That's why David in the Psalms prays weird things like, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. This wasn't the norm. This is a new thing. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other, that's the important word, tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were, there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And now, when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue? 
verse 6 and verse 8 confirm that tongue is synonymous with language in this passage. How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then he gives a list, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So what happened here? Let's just break this down very, very simply. Verse 4 these men who were inhabited by the Holy Ghost all of a sudden began to speak with other tongues other than what they previously knew as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, Jews present out of every nation under heaven heard them. Verse 6, every man heard them speak in his own language. Verse 7 tells us that these were Galileans that were speaking languages that they previously did not know. And then verses 8 through 11 Men from the 15 listed countries and areas heard them speaking in their native tongue. That's what happens in Acts chapter 2, okay? Nothing, and you got to hear this part. If you don't hear anything, hear this. Nothing in Acts 2 suggests that these men were beginning to babble nonsensical gibberish at the historic coming and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What did happen was men who were filled with the Holy Spirit during a special time in history began to speak in other languages other than what they knew previously. And the people present heard them and could distinguish them as known foreign languages. I, I think we need to hear that part again, okay? Listen, listen. Nothing in Acts 2 suggests these men began to, began to babble. Nothing says that they did this. What happened was men who were filled with the Holy Ghost during the special advent this special time, began to speak in other languages, and the people present heard them and could distinguish them as known foreign languages. That is what happened in Acts chapter 2, and yet it is so commonly paired with 1 Corinthians 14 in a defense of modern-day tongues. That is the biblical use of tongues in Acts chapter 2. The only thing we find in Scripture is what's called other or new tongues meaning an established, understandable language that is being spoken by someone who didn't know that language previously. That's the biblical model of speaking in tongues. So now, let's take our understanding of unknown and tongues and put them together to try and understand what this means. Unknown language. A language that is not known. It's, it's very simple. That's what it means. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, once again, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. No man understandeth him. An unknown tongue is simply the gift of tongues at that time being used, but nobody present understands that language. You might recall from 1 Corinthians 12 that there was a gift of interpretation. That was one of the spiritual gifts that was listed that would have been a temporary gift. Yes, and that would make sense if someone was using the spiritual gift of tongues and some people in the audience spoke that language, but others didn't. The gift of interpretation would allow someone else to interpret what was being said. Who didn't, like tongues, previously know that language? Interpret it so that the entire body could understand what was being said. It's why Paul says in verse 5 that prophecy is better than tongues except it be interpreted. Look at verse 5 quickly. 
I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret. Why? That the church may receive edifying. So the definition you could say, unknown tongues, refers to the utilizing of the spiritual gift of tongues uninterpreted. When no one in the audience knows the language being spoken. That's what Paul is saying and rebuking in this chapter. And again, you got to remember, this is speaking in the past tense, when tongues were present and active historically in that first century church of Corinth. Okay? I, I know that was a lot, but let's, let's keep going here. Because now that we've defined it very basically, we need to look at what, what this passage also tells us about the audience. Okay? Why are known tongues better than unknown tongues? Because the audience can understand what's being said when you're speaking a known tongue. Can you all understand what I'm saying? I know I speak fast, but we're talking the same language right now. You guys understand what I'm saying, right? That's why known tongues are better than unknown tongues. What I believe was happening in, in Corinth, I believe that carnal people were zealous for spiritual gifts, and they were putting me before we, and were utilizing that gift of tongues uninterpreted. They spoke a language that no one present knew and no one interpreted. That's why it says, He speaketh not unto men, for no man un understandeth him. He speaketh unto God. Now, I'll, I'll let you know that people will use this verse and, like it's a good thing. Here's what they'll say. Perhaps they'll call it some sort of prayer language that no one understands, only God. Maybe even calling their unintelligible sounds the tongues of angels. Well, when I don't know what to pray I, I do these sounds, and then God understands my heart. Listen, if you don't know what to pray, just bow your head and don't speak. God knows your heart. It's not the tongues of angels. It's not some prayer language that I can't find anywhere in the Scripture. It's an uninterpreted language that zealous, carnal people were using in the wrong context. They were using it incorrectly. God, being the only one who can understand you, is not a good thing. It, it, just calling it the tongues of angels or something is not only correct, it doesn't make sense. He that speaks in an unknown tongue doesn't speak unto men because men don't know what he's saying. <laughs> God's the only one who knows what he's saying because God speaks all the languages. See that? It's, it's very simple. He speaks only to God, not unto men, because they don't know what you're saying. That's what he's telling the Corinthians. It's not a good thing, Paul's saying, O Corinthian, that God, God is the only one who understands you. They were being selfish and carnal and exercising their gifts to show off me instead of edifying we. Their only audience was God, not the people standing in front of them. And so, Jeff, could you come up here for a second? I mentioned this to him. This isn't a surprise. You got a microphone? All right, it's the purple one. Can you turn that on for us really quick? Now, our friend Jeff speaks another language that not many people speak, and probably only, what, two or three people in the room speak. So, Jeff, could you say something for us in an other tongue? <laughs> Let's give him a hand. Thank you. <laughs> now, was that edifying to y'all? No! <laughs> Maybe just knowing that Jeff can speak another language is cool, but it didn't edify you. <laughs> you don't know what he said. You have no idea what he said. And Does that make sense now? It's greater to speak in a known tongue, a known language, than an unknown one. Because people can understand what you're saying. Now, you got to realize 
that what Jeff was doing obviously is not a spiritual gift because Jeff learned that language the good old-fashioned way. Took a lot of years and a lot of hard work. The spiritual gift of tongues was someone automatically being enabled by the Holy Spirit to speak a language they didn't previously know. But when you do that and no one understands the language, you're speaking what the Bible calls an unknown tongue, and it doesn't edify the body, it edifies you. That's what he's saying. You guys, so, so what I want you guys to see for a second, do you see through defining what tongues are in the Scripture? A biblical study of tongues will show you that what happens in charismatic circles today is not even what happened biblically in the first century church. It's only half the problem that some people think that tongues still exist. The other half is they're not even doing it biblically. Maybe that's because tongues don't exist today. We're not trying to be divisive. We're just trying to rightly divide the word of God. That's what we're doing. So let's, let's continue. Now, defining unknown tongues is important because it's going to be used four more times throughout the scripture, and this is the chapter on that subject. But the true theme of this entire chapter is that the gift of prophecy was greater than the gift of tongues, and that's point number three. Prophecy is greater than tongues, not just unknown tongues. Paul's going to tell us that in verse five. Prophecy was greater than tongues, whether exercised correctly or incorrectly. So let's go back to the text. Starting in verse 2, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, and exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. So this idea of prophecy, we've already seen this defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Prophecy was the gift of hearing God's word audibly revealed and then speaking it to men. Prophecy can be a little bit confusing though because the canon of scripture is complete today and the office of a prophet that existed back then where God would speak to the prophet, the prophet would hear, and then he would go out, and he would say to the people, thus saith the Lord, and try to move their hearts to follow God's word, to heed God's word. That office doesn't exist anymore, because God doesn't speak audibly. He has the written canon of scripture. But prophecy can also refer to someone taking the word of God as it is revealed in the scripture, speaking it to the people, saying, thus saith the Lord, and pleading with them to heed God's word. That's another usage. So it can be a little bit confusing. What you need to understand is that Paul is referring to the historic temporary gift of prophecy here before the canon of scripture was complete. He's talking about prophecy, the revealing of God's word. We can take a spiritual application from it, but historically that's what he's referring to. And he says repeatedly that prophecy is greater than unknown tongues. It's greater than tongues as well. Why is that? Well, it's greater than unknown tongues because men can understand the proclaiming of God's word in their language. They can't if it's an unknown language. So thus, known tongues are better than unknown tongues. That's actually incredibly rational logic. That's incredibly practical reasoning. But there is another reason that prophecy is greater than tongues, and maybe you saw it. Verse 3 says, He that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. It's, it's an issue of edification. 
Here's, here's your blank. Prophecy is greater than tongues because it edifies the entire body of Christ. It's very simple. It's not because Baptists don't believe in tongues. That's not the answer. The answer is because historically what Paul was teaching is that the entire body is benefited and is edified from the prophesying, the, the preaching of God's word, of his revelation. An unknown tongue nobody understands. It's not edifying anybody. And what the scripture tells us is that prophecy yields edification, exhortation, and comfort. Edify means to build up and instruct. Exhort means to encourage or advise. Comfort means to relieve or strengthen or encourage. They're all very similar terms. Prophecy, the proclamation of God's word, encourages and edifies the body of Christ. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. But we have to have the perspective that we is greater than me, right? 2 Timothy 4 tells us, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Romans 10, 17 says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I don't understand the word of God, how can I hear it? How can I believe it? How can it rebuke, reprove, exhort me? See that? I have to understand it. And that's why prophecy is greater than tongues and greater specifically than unknown tongues. And remember, we're talking about the biblical definition of tongues and unknown tongues. Don't accidentally reinsert the modern day contemporary definition of tongues. Okay, that's, that's what we're referring to. And what Paul is doing is rebuking the Corinthians for exercising the spiritual gift incorrectly. That'll become more evident when we continue to study this passage in the forthcoming weeks. How anyone today uses this passage in this book of rebuke to, to a carnal church as a defense of modern day tongues is, is beyond me. Paul repeatedly says, even if you want to try and argue a different definition of tongues, he repeatedly says that prophecy is better. Now let's move on to verse 5 here. Because it says, Paul says, I would that ye all spake with tongues. I would that ye all spake with tongues. Now we need to talk about that for a second. Because there's many circles of theology out there that would teach that every Christian should be able to speak in tongues once they receive the Holy Spirit. That's out there. I've witnessed, I've experienced people teaching that. Not to mention, typically, part and parcel with that teaching, they would believe that you don't gain the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, but at some later time, in some second baptism of the Holy Ghost which is in complete contradiction to God's word because Romans 8 tells us if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the spirit of God living inside of you, you are none of his. You are not born again. You are not a new creature. You're not a son of God. And so if you say that you are saved, but someday you'll get the Holy Spirit, that's not what the Bible teaches. You can't be saved without the Holy Ghost. It can't happen. So, okay, regardless of that, should all Christians be able to speak in tongues? Is that what Paul is saying? Well, if it is, he's completely contradicting himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Go back to chapter 12 with me. Flip one page to the left. And let's just scan this chapter really quick. Look at verse 4. Introducing spiritual gifts, he says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations but the same God which worketh all in all. He's saying there are different gifts, okay? Skip down to verse eight. 
For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Where do you get out of all of that that everyone speaks with spiritual uh, with with tongues? He clearly says that everyone has different gifts, but yet tongues is the one that we're going to hang our hat on. Look at verse twenty nine at the end of the chapter. Are all apostles? He's going to give us seven rhetorical questions, and the obvious answer is no. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. (laughs) That's the obvious answer after following the context of 1 Corinthians 12. So Paul can't be saying that you all will speak with tongues. That's not the correct teaching of that verse or this scripture. Paul himself teaches that there are diversities of gifts. Not everyone has the same gift. That's the point of the body of Christ. Some have certain gifts, but not all have the same. So we is greater than me because when we bring our diversities together, We make the complete body of Christ, and we can effectively do what he's called us to do. It doesn't make sense to say, well, yeah, but everybody gets that one. I I don't see that. I don't see it. I'm sorry. So why is it that people grab onto tongues and say that everyone should be able to do that? To me, it's even more proof that even if tongues still existed today, it's not what you see people doing. Because everything that they teach about tongues isn't even the biblical, historic way that it happened. Everyone didn't have it. It wasn't unintelligible babbling. It was a language that some people understood, and it was a sign. We'll see that in coming weeks. It's really hard to preach just a little bit of this chapter without stepping on everybody else's toes in the coming weeks. But hopefully all of this goes together well once we get all the way through the chapter. All Paul is saying in this verse is exactly what it says. I would that ye all spake with tongues. He would. Okay, well... Let me give you an example of how would means maybe not exactly what you think it means. You guys remember the story in the book of Numbers where Balaam is going to curse Israel and he's riding on a donkey and God makes the donkey talk and it's hilarious because he doesn't even react. He just starts yelling at the donkey who's talking to him. Well, in Numbers 22 and verse 29, it says that Balaam said unto the ass, because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in mine hand. For now would I kill thee. I would that there were a sword in my hand, but there isn't. (laughs) I wish, desire, actually, those aren't even supposed to go together, but see how that works? I would, I wish there were a sword in my hand. There isn't one, but I would kill you if I had one. That's what Paul's saying. I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but obviously, but what I've already written to you, you can't all speak with tongues. You won't all speak with tongues. He says, I'd rather that you all prophesied anyway. Why? Because prophecy is greater than tongues. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. The only exception was if the unknown tongue was interpreted, that the entire church would be edified. Spiritual gifts are not about me. They're about we. They're about the church. It's about profiting the body with all, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. 
every man to profit with all. The Corinthians were using spiritual gifts, and specifically tongues here, to carnally profit and edify themselves, not the body. Now, quick sidebar, is it possible that some Corinthians were so carnally zealous to have spiritual gifts that they faked the biblical gift of tongues and did just nonsensically babble some gibberish? Sure, it's possible, but that's an assumption. It doesn't say that. And certainly, even if it did happen, it wouldn't confirm what people do today. If anything, it further rebukes that incorrect, unbiblical application. Because, as you're going to see in the following weeks, he rebukes unknown tongues, whatever they are. And if you define it biblically, it's simply the exercising of the gift incorrectly, uninterpreted, so no one can be edified. So, as we wrap things up here and we come to the end, some things are greater than others, and that's okay. Charity is greater than spiritual gifts. Known tongues are better than unknown tongues, which is good because that gift doesn't happen today. So we can speak in a known tongue to each other. That's great. It's better anyway. And prophecy is greater than tongues because it profits and edifies the entire body of Christ. So we is still greater than me. The book of 1 Corinthians is a book of rebuke from Paul to a carnal church at Corinth who were doing most things overwhelmingly wrong. You would not be wise to extract a single chapter of this book to be your doctrinal thesis in support of modern-day tongues. That wouldn't be wise. We started this message, if you remember, by saying the importance of this subject is that we must not be ignorant of spiritual gifts. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 1. Well, Paul bookends this subject at the end of chapter 14 by saying, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Listen, man, you know what Paul's saying? If if you came through and read everything that I just wrote to you in these three chapters and you're still going to call me divisive or or you're going to disagree, listen, man, these are the commandments of the Lord. If you're going to be ignorant, fine, be ignorant. You're not uninformed, but you can be willingly ignorant if you want. I plead with you to not be, Paul says, and I would echo the same sentiment. If someone decides to willingly remain ignorant, let him be ignorant. There's nothing mean-spirited about rightly dividing the word of truth and understanding it precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. There's nothing mean-spirited about that. What is mean-spirited is if you take this knowledge and try to beat down a friend while puffing yourself up to make yourself out to be something greater than you are. That's me before we, for sure. The scripture tells us, let us therefore follow after things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. And at the end of this book of 1 Corinthians, it says, let all your things be done with charity. So let's remember that as we gain more knowledge and understand God's word. But we have to remember, church, we is greater than me. That's why charity is the greatest. It's why spiritual gifts are important, but we need charity to do them. It's so that the body works together to do what it is called to do. And when we use those things incorrectly or out of God's purpose or design, it does damage and doesn't actually help the body. Let's pray.